in the Christian world, we just believe being saved is a way of missing hell and getting to heaven. But until I go to heaven, I struggle here. Salvation, in a way, as we're going to go through this series, and I think you'll discover, is a means to remove the struggle of life. That doesn't mean you won't struggle, but that means you have a helper who is there that helps remove the stings of the struggle. The pitfalls of the struggle. The hurt and the pains of the struggle. That you'll have one who will guide you through the struggles. That's the difference. That's the difference. For we are a people that are not without hope. But we are a people who have hope. Salvation is that which you and I have to come to a place to really allow ourselves to be surrendered and understand that it's a means of a relationship. The subject is broad, is deep, is wide, is inexhaustible, and more than enough and adequate for our lives. It is plentiful, it is satisfying for the Christian who desires to grow in it. Now understand that. Desire to what? Grow in it. If there's no desire to grow in salvation, then you miss out on the blessings of God and the inheritance of God. For the scripture talks about us having an inheritance. But if there's no desire to grow in Christ after you have accepted him, then you're going to miss all kind of blessings. You're going to miss the processing of maturing in Christ. You're going to miss so much. And we need to understand, salvation is real. If you allow yourself to experience the goodness and the blessings of God, you have to avail yourself for that. You have to present yourself in such a way that you're worthy in a sense. And I want to use that word worthy very cautiously. Because none of us are worthy for what we receive. But we're worthy to receive God's blessings because God just doesn't throw his blessings out upon anything and everything. And he tells us that in this manner. Don't cast your pearls among who? The swine. That we don't cast our pearls among the swine. Now if he's teaching us that, how is he acting? So it is that life that is to a degree, worthy, and again, I want to caution, none of us are worthy, but yet is shining for him that is glorifying and representing and magnifying him that he comes alongside and bless and he ministers. Salvation, you need to understand, is real. Now, I want you to ask yourself a question. Why were you born? Why were you born? Were you born just to carry on a name? Were you born to make a family complete? 
were you born in order to be some great professional person? The goals to reach the goals and aspirations of your parent? Why were you really born? Why were you really born? Why did God really give you life? Do you know you were born with a real purpose? And most people do not discover their real purpose in life. And therefore, life is always a burden to them. It's always a struggle. It's never satisfying. We go from one thing to another thing to another thing because we're not satisfied in here. And we lose our identity in this world. Do you really know why you were born? The real purpose behind God giving you life. Your purpose for being born the first time and the second time is that you might know God. For salvation, born again, is for the purpose of having a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the real purpose of life. That's the real purpose of life in a nutshell. That you might know God, the one who gave you life, the one who created you. That you might know Him. That you might truly know Him. That's the real purpose in life. That you would truly know the Lord. They know you. And oftentimes, we're not aware of that. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they know you. But you don't know them. But in this relationship of salvation, of being born again, you and I have the privilege of knowing God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's a privilege. Because in that privilege is much like what Jesus said to Peter. You did not become aware of this because of flesh and blood or because of man. It's because of God revealing himself to you. Because God reveals himself to you. Now, they know you, but you have to get to know them. And that's the purpose of being born again. That's the purpose of salvation. That's the very purpose in which you were given life from the very beginning. Is that you might know God. Your real purpose in life is to have a relationship in which you learn and experience 
the person of God. That you learn and experience God. God. And you and I, we often think we can't experience Him. But you can. You can. If you really hunger and thirst for Him, and you desire Him, and you seek Him, He says He will be found of you. You have to want it. You have to want it. God will never kick your door in. God will never force himself into your life. God will never make you bow down to him at this time. Though scripture tells us there comes a time in which God says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. So that day is going to come. That day is going to come, but it's not now. Now is the willingness of your heart. To be willing to bow down to God and to surrender to God and really want to know Him for yourself. Now, the first blessing that God grants us is to know Him. Is to know Him. To experience Him. That is the very first blessing that God grants unto us. And we need to see it as a blessing. That God would introduce himself to such a woman as I. That God would introduce himself to one who never even thought about him, gave him time during the day. The one who would run away from him. The one who had no desire to live the way in which he has called me to live. That I was constantly running away from him. And here he takes time. To grab hold of my life and introduce himself to me as Lord of my life, as the Savior of my life, as the Redeemer of my life, as the Deliverer of my life, as the Rescuer of my life. He introduces himself to me. He induces himself. To you. To you. If you really open your eyes. Remember the song we just sung? Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. That should be your prayer every day. I want to see God working in my life. I want to see you, Lord. If you long for it, you will see it. If if it's never given a thought, Satan will keep the blinders on. But if you long for it and you want it, God will remove the blinders that you can see. That you can see. That you can see. And the first blessing that God wants us to experience is knowing Him. Is knowing Him. And we have to come to that place to really want to know Him. The first birth, if I can put it like this, when God first gave you life, The whole purpose of him giving you life from the very beginning, which oftentimes as Christians we call that our first birth, is that we might experience the second birth. 
Now understand something. If God never gave you life from the beginning, you would never be able to experience the second birth. But God's purpose of giving you life from the very beginning was that you may experience the second birth. Because without the first life, there would be no second birth. So it was God's purpose from the very beginning, when he formed you in your mother's womb, when he allowed you to come out and you took that first breath, the whole goal of God is that you would come to a place where you would recognize him and serve him and acknowledge him. Give that some thought. First life, second life. First birth, second birth. And the purpose of it. Why are you here? To know my God. To know my God. Go to Psalms 14, 1 through 4. Psalms 14. And listen to what the psalmist says. The Psalms 14. He says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. Now, understand, sometimes as Christians, we're called fools for what we believe. Do you understand it takes more to, to be an unbeliever than it is to be a believer? Do you understand to be an unbeliever that there is no God? You can look up the sky and you can say, man, put that up there. That's a fool. When he can look up at the sun... As bright as it is, but you can't really look at it at times. And you think man put that up there? That's a fool. When you look at the stars at night, and you can't even begin to number the stars that are up there, and God says he calls them all by name, that's a fool that looks up there and say there is no God. When you look at creation itself, it bears witness that there is a God. And it takes a fool to look at nature and all that's been created and say, there is no God. So the scripture tells us right off. It's the fool that says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vow. There is no one who does good. That's where we all were at at one point. Pastor Brown has not always been a pastor. Pastor Brown has been in bars. Pastor Brown has chased after women. Pastor Brown has done a lot of things that he's not proud of. He's, he's not, he was not born a pastor. He was not born a Christian. And he goes on and he says, in verse 2, The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand. And who seek who? Who seek God. The purpose of your life is to seek God. The purpose of your life is to know God. The purpose of your life is to understand God. The purpose of your life is to know the will of God for your life. The purpose of your life is to understand that God has a plan for you. That far exceeds the plan of your parents. 
And he goes on and he says, All have turned aside. They have together become corrupted. There is no one who does good, not even one. Boy, you understand why I say it's a blessing to be saved. And being saved is a blessing because God didn't have to do it. God didn't have to do it. God didn't have to save me. Now to bring that into another further understanding, go over to, you can read Psalms 41, 3 for yourself, but go over to John 17 for sake of time here. John 17. Go to verse 3 with me. Because he's going to explain the purpose again. And I want you to catch the purpose of, of life. And I want you to understand the purpose of that first birth is that, again, was the purpose that you would experience the second birth with the purpose that you would know God. He says in 17, verse 3, he says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you. This is eternal life, that they may know who? You. That they may know the Father. That they may know God. This is eternal life. That they may know you. That they may know you. Without him there is no eternal life. And he says that they may know you. That's the purpose of life. That's the purpose of being born again. That we might know God. Now understand and I'll say it again. God will not make you recognize Him. You have to be willing to acknowledge Him. Have you ever been scolded by mom or dad when there's company in the house and you walk past people and never say a thing to them? You never acknowledge them. You never say hello. You never say welcome Mr. or Mrs. whatever. See, God can be right here in your presence and you can walk by him all day long and he won't scold you. You have to want to see him and recognize him. You have to want to acknowledge him. He's not going to make you praise him. He's not going to make you sing songs and hymns That glorify him. He's got knowing to make you. At this time. Open your mouth. And acknowledge him. But see. When you're born again. That's part of that desire. Because you understand. That's your what? Purpose. It's your purpose to praise Him. It's your purpose to acknowledge Him. It's your purpose to sing songs unto Him. You have a purpose to glorify your God. You have a purpose in life. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of Him. For I live for Him. No longer it is I that live, but God that liveth in me. Paul had a purpose to live, and Paul was able to sum it up in this matter. Boy, while I live is Christ, but to die is gain. To die is gain. 
And he says, boy, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Why is salvation a blessing? Why, why is it a blessing to us? Look at that verse 4. Because again, he says, I have bought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus Christ did the work on my behalf in order that I might be saved. Isn't that a blessing? Suppose God would have said, you have to earn your own salvation. How would you have earned it? How would you have covered your sin? How would you have made atonement for your sin? It's a blessing. That God would send his son to atone for my sin. That I would not have to pay the penalty for my sin. But he took it upon himself. And he says he's completed this. Completed what? He completed what needed to be done. That my sins might be atoned for. And that I might step into the Holy of Holies. And that I might have a relationship with the living God. That is a blessing. That is a blessing. Turn over to Romans 5. Because here is part of what the completion is. Because Jesus says, boy, uh, it is completed. It's completed. I've completed the work that you gave me to do. Now what we want to understand is what was some of the work that he did. And we need to understand that. So in Romans 5, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, God, boy, through Jesus Christ, I've been justified. I've been set right because of the work of Christ on my behalf. He's already paid for my penalty. He's paid for all my sins. He's taken my penalty upon himself. And he died in my place. For the wages of sin is what? Death. He died in my place. That's a blessing. That's what salvation brings to us. That I don't have to die for my sins. But that Christ paid it all for me. He completed it. And he could say on the cross, this work now is finished. And he says... I've been justified through faith. Now catch the very next couple of words. We have peace. We are now at peace with God. Salvation, being born again, brings peace to us. You can't function without a peaceful mind. When your mind is all torn up and worried about this and worried about that, and your mind is going every kind of direction, it's hard to make a decision. It's hard to see your way forward. But when you have peace with God, all that confusion disappears. Now, to understand this, If I don't have peace with God, then I'm an enemy of God. 
a lot of people will say, I'm not an enemy. I never chose to be God's enemy. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're what? You're against me. There's no middle ground. Either I'm for him or I'm against him. There's no neutral area in this. And what oftentimes we never think about before we're born again, that I was an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. And now through salvation, I am blessed that I can have peace with God. Come on down in verse 10 with me in Romans 5. It says in verse 10, For if when we were God's enemies, what makes me an enemy of God? When I do not recognize Him, when I will not accept His will for my life, and when I go against what His Word declares is right, and I want to do wrong, I'm an enemy of God. Because I transgress his words. What is sin? Sin is a transgression of God's word. God's word says, this is how it should be done. But you're going to do it this way. That's the transgression of God's word. And he says, we are the enemies of God. We were reconciled. That's the work that's completed now. I've been totally reconciled to God. Through the work of Jesus Christ. Through this thing called salvation. Being born again. I've been reconciled to God. I have peace with God. I have fellowship with God. I'm beginning to know God. And how He functions. And what He desires for me in life. He says I'm reconciled to Him through the death of of his son. How much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? How much more? How much more? Now, I'm blessed. A lot of people never see themselves being blessed. So we've coined a word. I'm so unlucky. I don't have no luck in my life. Nothing seems to go my way. Everything I try to do, it turns out bad. When you're not blessed by God, and when you're not being led by God, you're not being taught by God, and you're not acknowledging God, you're right. Everything you do is a pitfall. Everything you do, Satan is setting you up to pull the rug out from under you. Everything and every time you think you're taking two steps forward to be blessed, you discover that something comes along that robs you of it. And what you don't know is this. Satan is constantly out robbing you of the blessings of God. Satan is stealing from you. Satan is taking from you. Satan is blocking you from being blessed. He's doing it. He's doing it. And oftentimes you look at other people and you're saying, why are these people blessed and I'm not? Why is God doing that for this person 
and not for me? Why is he overlooking me? Why is God so concerned and he gives this person a car? He gives this person a job. He gives this person a family to love and they love him. He gives this person finances and teach them how to save and how to invest and how to grow those finances. He gives them a mate that really loves them and care for them. Why are they so blessed in life and I'm not? The only difference between a believer's life and an unbeliever's life is Jesus Christ. Period. There's nothing else. There's no thing about being a genius up in here. There's no thing that I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. The only thing that is different between the believer's life, the one who is saved, and the one who is an unbeliever who is not saved is Jesus Christ. Period. Period. Nothing else. But oftentimes we sense that, boy, we're just not being blessed by God. We want to know everything in this world. We want to experience everything in life. We want to be able to do this and do that and and experience jumping off some cliff with the Things flying out and flying down some cliff at 90 miles an hour. We want to experience having that supercar and hitting that gas pedal and going down the road 110 miles. We want to experience getting on our motorbikes, rearing them up and going and letting the hair flow in the wind. We want to experience having a whole lot of money. Whether we want anything, we can just go out and get it. We want to experience a nice big home. We want to experience this. We want to experience everything but God. We want to experience everything in life but God. And that's the purpose for which I was really born. To know God. I was not born just to ride a motorcycle down the street 90 miles an hour. I was not born just to live in a big house. I was not born just to have a whole lot of money. I was not born for all these worldly things that sometimes we want to think we're born for. No, I was born to know God. I was given life that I might know him. Now, to know and to be known. To know and to be known. I, I left some books at home. I was going to bring you my Obama books. I got three of them on his life. From his childhood on up, his running for presidency, and then part of his first years of his presidency. And when he was over in Chicago doing what he was doing over there as a social worker. So I I kind of like studied the life of Obama or read about him as much as I can. Then I have a book, the most, uh, the 50 most popular people in the United States. And I kind of run through that and see different ones and read them, you know. So I know a little bit about a Magic Johnson. I know a little bit about a Jordan. I know a little bit about a Delaney who was the first general African American in the Civil War. See, we, we, we learn in this reading. But guess what? All these people I'm reading about, 
And even every now and then, I'll get an email saying, Obama wants to know what you think. Obama don't know me. Democratic Party may know something about me, or Republican Party may know something, and they send something, but Obama don't know me that he's sending me an email. You can know about somebody, and they're not even aware that you exist. Understand this. God knows you exist, but you're unaware of him, really. Now I want to turn that over just a little bit. God is aware of you, and you miss your blessings because you don't know him. When you come to a place where you know him and you acknowledge him, now he's aware of your circumstances. Now he begins to work in your circumstances. You know that little saying that we have sometimes, get out my face? Guess where you want to be at with God? Up in his face. Because you want him to really know who? Know you. But in doing that, you're going to get to know him. So you want to be up in his faith. You want to know him. When you want to know somebody, you don't stay at a distance. See, when I wanted to know my wife, I had to get close. And then as we got married, we got closer. And as that relationship has grown over 40-something years, we got closer. And we're still getting close. So sometimes she's right in my face. And sometimes I'm right in her face. And sometimes we're in each other's face and enjoying it. And that's where you want to... You want to know God. But you also want to be known of God. Hey, hey, you want to be known. And you want to be known. Hey, go to Matthew chapter 6. Go to verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now catch the word his, his, his. It's not that you just want to know the kingdom or his righteousness. You want to know the one who rules the kingdom. You want to know the one who sets the rules and says this is righteous. And he says, seek that first. And when you seek that first... Guess what the scripture says beforehand? He provides all that you have need of. Now, when you seek him first in everything in life, when you acknowledge him and you take it to prayer and you make him first in everything, 
then all those other things, he says, will be added unto you. He has to be first. Now, you have to practice that. How do you practice that? Some years ago, me and my wife needed a car. And I thought, we're going to pray about it. Not that we didn't have money or credit that we could just run out and get a car. See, I run a car until it don't run no more in most cases. And then it's only worth giving away. And that's usually what we do, just give it away because I hate to charge somebody for it because they're going to come back and tell about all the troubles. But, but the thing is, is this here. We prayed about it. No big rush. Why? The scripture says be anxious for nothing. So I don't have to run into things. I can take my time. And let God give me his best. Okay. When I want something in a hurry, I'm shortchanging God. Because God wants to give me his best for me at that time. Now, his best may not be the newest thing, but it's good for me. It's going to meet my need. And God's going to give it to me. He's going to bless me with it in some way. That doesn't mean when he gives it to me, I won't have to pay for it, but I won't have to pay as much. Because he's involved. He's involved. And he says, boy, when you seek me, I'll add all these other things into your life. I need a place to stay. Well, it may not be a four-bedroom house. But he may put me in the projects. He may put me in a little one-bedroom place. He may put, but he's placed me there and he's provided my need. He took me out of the cold. He took me out of the rain. He took me out of the snow. And I have a place to rest my head. He'll provide for me. Now he says, if I'm faithful in the little things that he does, guess what he'll do? He'll give me much. I have to start with God appreciating the little blessings before he give me the bigger blessings. And learn how to appreciate the small things in life God does for you. And be able to say, thank you, Lord. It's like that old parable. I used to complain about having no shoes until I saw a man who had no feet. And the whole process is that we learn how to say, thank you, Lord. Now, he says he wants you to know him. And therefore, he says, first seek his kingdom. Everything about him. Seek his righteousness. Everything that he says that is righteous and pure. And honest. He wants you to know him. Go to Psalm 73. Back to Psalm 73. Look at verses 25 and 26. This becomes the attitude when you begin to really seek him and want to know him. Who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides who? Yeah. Earth has nothing I desire but you. There was a time in my life, and you can ask my wife, boy, I wasted a lot of money because every two years I bought a new car. 
And it had to be a big car. Couldn't be a small car. It was a big car. And it was a fancy car. It was a Friday night car. A Saturday night car. Kids couldn't eat in it. Kids could barely ride in it. But when you become saved, all that changes. All that changes. He says, what do I desire on earth besides you? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing but you. You're the one that I desire. Go to Jeremiah. Chapter 1, verse 5. Jeremiah. To know and to be known. Jeremiah 1, 5. He said, before I was formed... Before I formed you in the womb, God says, I knew you. Before you were even formed in the womb, I knew you. I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Do you know that you've been set apart to know God? You've been set apart to do God's will. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Well, you say, I'm not a prophet. How many of you understand the word preach? Preach is simply a proclaimer. I set you aside at birth to be a proclaimer of me. Don't need no title to talk about God and tell people how good God is and lead people to the Lord. Don't need no title. Don't have to have no official standards for that. You've been set apart to do that. If you've experienced the second birth. Because that was your whole goal. Is to be a proclaimer of what you know about your God. Of how good your God is. How wonderful your God is. That he really is a mighty counselor. That he is a God that makes a way out of no way. He is a God that provides for me. You are a proclaimer of the goodness of God. Go to Exodus 33. I like this one. Me and the Lord, we just kind of like basked in this one. And just stood there a moment, and just in amazement of of of, of God in this. In thirty three, in verse seventeen, he says, "And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. I will do the very thing you've asked." Remember what the Lord says over in John? Ask me what? Anything. You can come and ask. That doesn't mean I'll do it, but you can come and ask. But the Lord will also confirm when he will do things for you. And you'll know. And God will give you a piece about it. And he says to Moses, Boy, I'll do the very thing you've asked. Because I am pleased. Now, Now look at the reason why. I am pleased with you. Is God pleased with you? 
Is God pleased with your life? If God's so pleased with you that God will say, here's a blessing. God said, I'll open up the windows of heaven and I'll just rain out blessings upon you because I'm so pleased with you. What do you do to please God? Are you up sometime four in the morning, five in the morning, searching God's word, studying, talking with him, praying with him? That's pleasing to God. Why? You're desiring to know him. All during the day, as you go through the day, are you talking with God? Are you allowing God to know, Lord, I need you to help me in this. Lord, would you provide this? Lord, will you take care of this? Lord, will you help me with this? Lord, will you open a door here? Lord, would you give me favor over here? That you're constantly in communication with the God that you say that you love. God's pleased when you want to talk with him. He never gets tired of hearing from you. And he's pleased with that. Elaine is pleased when I sit and just really talk with her. That's one of her happiest moments. I don't do it enough. And she was reminding me yesterday how much time we spent together. We sat at the counter and we ate together. Then she said, how much time we spent together. We got up this morning and we were here in the house together. We were here together. Her togetherness and my togetherness is defined in two different ways. You men ever catch that? (laughs) Her her togetherness is being with her. And she is the main attraction. And that's God also. That God wants you to make him the main attraction in your life. And he's pleased by that. He's tickled pink by that. That you want him to be the main attraction in your life. And he says to Moses, I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. And we've got to ask ourselves, how are we pleasing God? What are we doing to please God? Because there's where we come to a place where we have to answer, yes, Lord. I'm willing to please you. Even though it may hurt me for a moment. Even though it's something I may not enjoy doing. I may not like doing. I want to please you. I want to please you. How many of you did that with your parents? Your parents asked you to do something. And in one heart, you really didn't want to do it. But you wanted to please them. That's God. And you made the parents happy. And when you please God, you make him happy. So happy. Look what takes place here. He says, because I am pleased with you. And now look what it says. And I know you by name. Out of all the people in the world. Moses, I know you by name. I know you by name. I'm not just a number. I'm not just one of the part of the creation. I haven't been lost in the crowd. I know you by name. Boy, understand that. 
I know you by name. Out of all my creation, I can call Moses by name. By name. Because he's so pleasing to me. Too many lives. We're just going to jump through. You can look at the other verses. Too many lives. Too many of us live life in a state of failure. We live life in a state of failure. And the sad part about that, we have accepted the failure. Only thing about being on welfare, and I was there, I've used food stamps, I've gone in, had to write everything down, is this. Don't get so accustomed to it, you just want to live there. All of us sometime in life may need a help in hand. All of us may need some type of assistance at some point in life. We had to use assistance with my mom. And we had to bring help in and human service provided that. When we was going through school, we got food stamps. We had to get part of a health card when Elaine had to have surgery. The thing is, is this here. I'm not going to live in that state of failure. And I will not accept that as the way in which I'm going to live my total life. I'm better than that. I'm better than that. I know I'm better than that. And God knows it. God knows it. God never meant for you to live in a state of failure. You may accept your failure. You may feel that's the best you can do. You may feel and you may blame a whole lot of people why you're in the situation you're in and the state that you're in. And you may even complain that nobody helps you. But let me share something with you. You can get up if you want to. You can get up if you want to. You can do better if you want to. And when God sees the wanting and the willingness, then God becomes an ever-present helper to change those circumstances that you don't have to live in a state of failure. Too many people who say that they are saved are living in a state of failure that they should not be living in. And the purpose of the reason for that state of failure is the absence of the relationship with God. And whenever the absence of the relationship with God is present, you will discover failure. You'll see failure. You'll see ongoing failure. Until that absence is replaced with the presence of God. And God then begins to turn the life around. What's that show we were watching last night, Elaine? Landa, Landa, or 
Pardon? Yes, with all these men. And that one man had 38 kids? 28 kids. And he, he'd given all these excuses. And his mother gave all these excuses for this young man who had six or eight children out here. And it made it so pitiful that even the women who have had these kids, they up there crying for them. But the thing that was never touched in that show, even though she's saying, say these words after me, say this, say it. The words that never came out was sin, repent, and God forgives you. Without that, nothing else is lasting. You can say all kind of words. But without acknowledging sin in your life that separates you in a relationship with God, you can never fix it. You won't fix it until you can acknowledge that God is absent in your life because of sin. When you can acknowledge the absence or the presence of God or his word in your life. And you acknowledge that. And you ask God to forgive you. And you repent of whatever it is. And you tell God, you're sorry. Now it's on. A new relationship. Now it's on. God's there to help you. I don't care how far you fall. God can raise you back up. But he waits for you to acknowledge his absence in your life. And he says that. That he wants to teach you. He wants to minister to you. He wants to help you. He wants to be there for you. But if you don't never acknowledge that God, that you want to know him, that you want him to help you, then it's not going to happen. Go back to John 17. Look at verses 15 and 17. And we're going to look at two things that determine victory and blessings. In 15, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. I'm saved to be in this world and to glorify God. I'm saved to reveal the knowledge of God as I come into knowledge of knowing him. I'm saved for that purpose, to teach others. To share it with others. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. What is the evil one going to do? He's coming to destroy. He's coming to steal. He's coming to rob every blessing that he can take from you. Protect them from the evil one. Why? The evil one wants you to fall. The evil one wants you to live in failure. The evil one wants you to stumble. The evil one wants you to sense or feel you cannot accomplish this or that. 
the evil one. And he goes on and he says, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now look at 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Teach them. Truth is teaching. That you get to know God's truth. And you, now you're applying God's truth into your life. And what Satan doesn't want you to do is to acknowledge God's truth. Because if you acknowledge God's truth and you say, Lord, here's what I'm going to stand on. I'm going to stand on your word because your word, as it speaks to me, say that you will do that. God, I'm going to trust you to do it. Now God is responsible to begin to bring that to pass. God is. God becomes responsible to open up doors for you. God becomes responsible to make certain things happen in your life. Now, either God is living or he's dead, one or the other. Either God's able to act or he can't act. God said, have not I said it? Have not I done it? And in Philippians 1, 6, boy, the promise is of God to us is that he will work with us all the days of our life. He who has begun a good work in us, he will continue to work with us. I have to trust him to do that. And he's going to work in my life. He's going to do it. In fourteen sixteen, he says he gives me a counselor. We went to all these secular counselors. But you know, I have a counselor in the Holy Spirit. I have a teacher in the Holy Spirit. Why? A few verses up from that, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you alone to figure this out all by yourself. But I'll give you a counselor, the Holy Spirit, to teach you how you are to live in this present day. Two concepts that determines the blessings in your life. One is your maturity. And the second to know you've been set free. By God. You've been set free by God. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Because God's desire is for you to grow and mature in Him. He wants you to grow, He wants you to mature. And He's not talking about age per se. We assume sometime in the Christian church, because you're 30 years old, you're wiser than somebody 15 years old. No, if that 15-year-old has been in God's Word and been taught of the Holy Spirit, he may be far wiser than that 30-year-old. So in verses 13, he says, well, let me get Until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Underline that word knowledge. Knowledge in who? The Son of God. And become what? Mature. How do we become mature? In our knowledge in the Son of God and then putting that to work in our everyday life. We mature as we do what Jesus did. We mature as we follow the word of God. 
We mature in Him. And He says, boy, become mature, obtaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants. Look what He said. We're not infants no more. We're mature. We're adults. Let me share something with you. If you're an adult acting like a child, stop it. Stop it. If you are an adult and you say you are an adult, stop whining like a child. If you are an adult man, understand you are to provide. You are a provider. You are a protector. The Bible paints a man, a godly man, as a warrior. And he heads and protects his household. Provides for his household. Too many of us as men are acting like children. Take care of me. Take care of me. Do this for me. Do that for me. Provide for me. If you're an adult... Start acting like an adult, not like a child. And he goes on and he says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. We will in all things grow up. Catch that word, grow up. Or we will mature. When we begin to speak the truth, we mature. We're acknowledging the truth. We're maturing. The other verses there you can begin to look at in First Peter one three says, God has provided all that we have need of to grow and to mature. But let me give you ten things that Satan wants to rob you of that keeps you in a state of failure. The second element is that area of freedom. But look what takes place here. Who Christ has set free is free indeed. But we allow Satan to place us back in bondage. And Satan knows how to block our growing and our blessings. Number one, I'm sorry I didn't make them larger. I was trying to get them all on one page. To be against the things of God. God doesn't want you to have it. That's Satan's voice. When you're against the things of God, And yet you are giving yourself to the things of the world. The reason you're doing that is because you think or Satan has somehow duped you into believing. God says he don't want you to have that. Men, God would have never gave you the utensils and the all with all to have sex if he didn't want you to have sex. But it has to be confined in marriage. God has equipped you to have sex. But remember this. You're not a dog. You're not out sniffing every behind that goes past you. 
You are a godly man where you're born with a purpose to know Him. And Satan's trick is this. God doesn't want you to have it. Go back to Adam and Eve with the tree. God doesn't want you to eat of that because you will become what? Second one. He keeps your mind on your past life. You're so stuck in your past, you can't plan your future. You're so stuck in what you used to be, you can't see yourself any better than what you have been understanding this. When you start walking with God, God improves your life. God takes us out of the mire clay. God calls us from darkness into His marvelous light. God robes us in His righteousness and His purity. God begins to do something in our lives because we're walking with Him and we're His children. God doesn't want you to have it. God is saying, forgetting the past and press on. Forget your past. There's no use crying about you. They're not talking about what you used to be. You may have been a gangster. You may have been a drug dealer. You may have been an adulteress. You may have been an adulterer. You may have been a prostitute. You may have been a pimp. You may have been whatever. Paul says, forgetting the things that are behind me and now pressing what? Pressing on. I move on. I forget my past. When God is in my presence, God's not bringing up my past. God's talking about my future. Thirdly, keep you prone to failure. Satan will keep you in a state of failure. Why? By keeping you in a state of failure, he keeps you in a state of sin. Because now, Doing wrong seems to be right. And you do the wrong thinking it's going to work out for the best. And all that's a deception of Satan. When you do wrong, it can never work out for the best. You may go out and steal a thousand dollars and think, boy, you've done something. But it ain't worth spending five, six years in jail for a thousand dollars. And the whole process is that you can think that you're a failure and you can believe it. And you say to yourself, and Satan puts this in your mind, just my luck. Just my luck. This is my life. It's what it is. It's what it is. It's what it is. Take it or leave it. No. Ladies, let me share something about a man. If that's his attitude, leave it. Men, let me share something. If that's a woman's attitude, leave it. I like that little song with the Jeffersons. Moving on up. Because that's what I'm doing. I'm moving on up. If you don't want to move up, bye. Because I'm moving on up. Control of your habits. Oftentimes you think 
that you cannot change your habits. You can change your habits. You can change your behavior. You can change the way that you do things. You can change the way you think. But you have to have a new input. You can change your old habits. And often the one of the biggest failures for people who say they're saved and never are blessed or see the victory in their life is the issue that they're stuck in their old habits and they cannot form the new habits that the Holy Spirit is trying to produce in them. They're just stuck in their old habits. Fifth, confused. Satan will keep you confused. And when you're confused, you can't set plans. When you're confused, you can't set goals. When you're confused, you cannot really direct yourself. When you're in a state of confusion, you come to a point of just hopelessness and really don't care. If I move ahead or if I don't move ahead, I just accept what it is. If I'm going to do better, somebody has to come give me a job. I'm not going to go look for a job. Then understand this. God is not the author of confusion. God doesn't want you to be confused. God wants you to have a very clear direction for your life. God wants you to set goals for your life. God wants you to set purpose for your life. God wants you to move ahead. That's God's plan for you. It's never about where you've been. It's where you're going. That concerns God. Confusion is not of God, but Satan will keep you in a state of confusion. Six, blinded to the truth. Satan doesn't want you to see the truth that God declares to you. God says you're free. You're saying, no, I can't help myself. All those men last night, they couldn't really help themselves in having sex with all these different women. And one man had sex with 18 women, nine women, eight. I mean, what do you mean he can't help himself? Nobody made him do that. But it's that whole thing. We're blinded to the truth. And Satan says to us this. When I acknowledge God's truth, and the moment I begin to say I'm going to stand on God's truth, Satan comes along and Satan will say to us, this won't work. It's not going to work for me. Even though God is saying it, it's not going to work for me. Things like that don't work in my life like that. You haven't given God a chance to work in your life. And you need to stand on his truth, on his word. The other thing is this here. When you're blinded to truth, understand God is trying to reveal truth. You have to be willing to accept it. The issue then goes down to refuse to hear the truth. When you refuse to hear the truth, you'll never be able to have the faith to step out on that truth. Because it is truth that brings about faith in your life. And as faith is developed by truth, now you're able to step out on that truth. But if you refuse to hear truth, for faith cometh by hearing. Hearing of what? the word of God and when you hear the word of God and you understand that word and you're going to trust that word and you're going to believe God 
God gives you the faith to step out and say, here's where I stand. He's the one I'm going to trust. And Satan wants to keep you from experiencing the truth of God. And God's faithfulness to you. Satan keeps us from experiencing God's faithfulness in our lives. You need to understand that. Eight, will not speak truth to ourselves. There's times if you don't know the word and the word is life, you got to speak the word to yourself. You got to remind yourself what the word is saying to you. And you got to speak that word. You got to speak it. Because others can speak it to you, but you have to say it and believe it. You have to say it and believe it. Others can speak it all day long, all around you. But until it becomes internalized, and you're saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do this. I can do this because God's going to strengthen me. I can do this. There's nothing formed that can harm me. There's no weapon that can hurt me. I can do this. And I begin to say, if God be for me, who can be against me? I don't care if they're white, black, yellow, green, whatever they are. If God is for me, if God's on my side, who can be against me? Who can stop me? See, I'm internalizing God's word and I begin to believe it. And when I begin to believe it, then I take action on it. And he says, with number nine, we choose to believe a lie. Satan will feed us all kind of lies. And we choose to believe that lie. We choose to believe the lie. And the lie is, wrong will work out best for me. I'll do it my way. I'll go lie. I'll go cheat. I'll go steal. I'll go shack up. i go do this. i go do that. i go do it. i go get high. I'm going to do it my way. And it's the wrong way in which God would direct me. And I think somehow that's going to work it out. That doesn't work it out. That doesn't work it out. Hey, we just choose to believe a lie. All those women last night with those men that they shacked up with and had children by, those men walked away from them. Because you choose to believe a lie that somebody is saying, I love you and I care for you. Just because they sleep with you doesn't mean they really care for you. And you choose to believe a lie. You need to understand, Satan is the father of liars. Number ten, last one. He wants you to believe that you don't have a godly inheritance or a future. Oftentimes, our failure is, is that we believe I don't have a better 
future. That I can do better than what I'm doing. That I can do better than what I'm doing. And I want you to know something. With God, all things are possible. And that includes all of us. That God is able to guide us into a better life. God is able to guide us into better relationships. God is able to guide us into better employment. God is able. I have a future. And that future is bright. That future is an inheritance that is mine, given to me through Jesus Christ. I have a bright future. And the greatest part about my future is that I know absent from the body is present with the Lord. I know where I'm going. I'm on my way home, no doubt about it. Amen. And my future looked bright. No more false teeth. No hearing aid, no glasses, no back aches. Going down the steps this morning, back up and back down, I'm trying to catch myself on the rail. Now I really do believe in that rail. Well, when I first put that rail up, I thought it was just a law that the law said you had to put a rail going down steps. Now I know why that rail is there. It's there for me. But one day I'll be able to run up and down some steps and don't worry about these knees giving out or this or that. I have a bright future. What is your future? What is your future? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for giving unto us a future that is bright because of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we want to thank you, Lord, that you are a God who takes our sins and put them as far as the east is from the west. Put them in the deepest ocean to remember them no more. Because, Lord, it's not about our past that you're so much concerned about as it is about our future. Who we will be tomorrow. What we will be tomorrow. How we will see ourselves tomorrow. And how we will live tomorrow. You're more concerned about our future than our past. And Father, I pray that you might minister to us all. That in this salvation, we might see that it is a blessing that you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. That it truly is a blessing to be saved. Because it's more than just claiming I'm on my way to heaven. It's about right now. How I live now. And Lord, I pray that you would continue, Lord, to just reveal to us this rich salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. You want us to know you. And Lord, we want to know you. We want to draw close to you. We want to put our heads upon your breast. We want your arms to embrace us. We want to sense your breath upon our face. Yes. 